call is being recorded. What's up? What did you want to work on today? Um, I think I'm more in a Gemini place than I am in a Pisces place. Find your seat, right. Ryan. Take a couple of deep breaths. Okay. Gemini. So we're at Gemini season. Okay. And then one day we realize that it will not freeze again. We have tomatoes to transplant and zucchini and 150 billion other things that have to happen right now. Welcome to the season of Gemini, where everything's going really fast and people are talking really fast. (laughs) There's so much to do, exclamation point. How to juggle the 10,000 things which historically have been presented to us during the season of Gemini, question mark. That's what Gemini is here to learn, exclamation point. How to merge the light and the dark and the good and the bad and the 10,000 things, all of which need our attention right now, which need our attention now, is the challenge, comma, process, comma, and ultimately joy of Gemini. We make connections with our neighbors and ask for help planting our crops. Maybe some early spring mushrooms and wild greens appear which need harvesting at a very specific time. Gemini season is the time in which we engage the 10,000 things and do our best to complete as many of them as we can. This takes skill and cunning, period. This requires us to make conscious calculations and to be aware of the variety of unexpected circumstances, period. The rains may suddenly appear or a sudden late frost rears its head, which could befall us. And we have to move quickly, comma, deliberately and with great skill to improvise. Gemini season asks us to be aware, to be open, comma, and to clear and non-judgmental as humanly possible, period. Because we can distract it or have an expectation of an answer, comma, an outcome, comma. Let me answer the first question. So basically, when it, come, when it came to Derek Chauvin, I was really uh, apprehensive about being like, he's going to be proven guilty, right? Like, I, 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 think, I think 
dealing with like the trauma of the Trump era, moving into like he might the whole like fear that we all lived with, like he'll he'll get he'll get elected was the same kind of fear that I had for this, where it was like this guy's just going to get acquitted. And I guess I was concerned for like what that meant for the world at large. And it's been an anxious couple of days knowing that like on Monday they finished, you know, uh, the, the entire conversation. Um, and now, it, now that we're actually, we're, at that, we're actually at that point where, hello. Hey, all right. That works this time. Hey, where are you right now? Uh, so I'm in my uh, new apartment. You haven't been here yet since last we saw each other. Uh, Laura and I moved to Crown Heights in Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, it's been, uh, we moved here almost a year ago, July last year. And it uh, has been really great, to be honest with you, actually. And, you know, we took over this place and we, we moved from a, miserable, you know, studio, one bedroom in Bushwick to a three bedroom, like home in Crown Heights for less than we were paying beforehand. It's a good thing. Oh, totally. And I don't have to sleep on your couch. <laughs> uh, I, I actually was in fact, just going to say, whenever you do come back through New York, there is an entire queen bed and a <gasps> private bedroom for you to stay in for as long as you sh- should want. <laughs> So my, my dog is open going to join the interview right now. I, Hazel will probably like scrunch a toy or make a squeak noise or, you know, just be a puppy. So I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Drag, dragons on in here. Um, what, what did I want to ask you about? Like, so, I mean, I'm sure that the city has changed a lot during the pandemic and, I, I mean, a lot of people have left the city. My dog is wrestling. Me. But, <laughs> it sounds like he's dancing for you. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I know that the city has changed a lot, and I'd love to hear about your experience. But also, how's my desk? Is my desk good? Is she good? Your desk is your desk is doing well. It served Laura very well for a good for the first like five months we lived here. And then inevitably what ended up happening was that um, the people that we like took over this apartment from, they wanted to keep a room for quite a while. So Mm -hmm. like there was this room that was full of like the remainder of their things. Um, And now they have, since they have finally like permanently moved upstate, Laura has turned that into the guest room at her office. And then my office has turned into, I guess my office. And uh, <laughs> I've been putting in some. I've been putting in some hours at it. It's doing well. It's doing well. Oh, that's great. Oh, it, remnants it, it lives, of a former life. <laughs> it lives prominently, uh, you know, from my old apartment to this apartment. I think it's been through three apartments now. The heaviest desk ever. Uh, the heaviest fucking <laughs> desk ever. I mean, <laughs> we had to hire movers for this one. There was no way. There was no way I was throwing my back out doing that again. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, I don't even know what to talk about. We're, we're communicating on the 20th of April. 
2021 and Derek Chauvin was found guilty. And I think that that is definitely worth recording. And I'd love to get your take on it, where you were when you found out, how you're feeling about that. I mean, I'm, I'm in the Midwest. I'm much closer to Minneapolis than you. Sure. Uh, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah. So what, like I, on Friday, it's what, uh, Tuesday now, on Friday of this week, there was a big protest for everything from Derek Chauvin to uh, uh, the, young, the young man, his last name is Toledo, uh, his first name escapes me at the moment. There were two other, you know, police-involved shootings, and people got out and protested, and they, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the conviction is official. Uh, it, it feels a bit unreal, but at the same time, it's like progress, but at like what cost, you know, it's, it, it's a complicated feeling. I guess that makes any sense. Um, but for a while, for the past couple of days, I've just been expecting the worst. And I think uh, we walked away from today with like, maybe the, the wrong term of phrase would be the best, but the best outcome for the circumstances. Right. And then how, how the public responds, how the system responds is really what matters most. To say, to say the least, I guess I've been uh, just apprehensive on how to feel about it all. Right. Like, because, you know, one horrible thing happens after the next and it's like, we all sit here and you demand justice and oftentimes it's not fulfilled. I mean, if you want to, go back as far as maybe within our lifetimes to like, uh, gosh, what's his name in Los Angeles in, in the 1990s, Rodney King, and Rodney King, right. And then, you know, you, f- you flash forward to present day. It, it, it's been kind of just the same outcome over and over and over again, you know, police just getting to kind of walk away from this. So today is it's good. Right. But, like the circumstances are still really upsetting. What kind of pulse do you feel in the city when you found out? I was in Brooklyn when the Eric Garner right. murder happened. And like, I mean, you felt the shock wave as if, as if an earthquake had happened. It was just the collective agony. I, I, I mean, I can't speak for Manhattan at this rate. I, I know that like living in Crown Heights, um, and living in Brooklyn, just in general, uh, it, it feels more real here. And I think Manhattan has moved beyond the point of where, like, it, it, it's, I mean, how do you describe Manhattan? It's not now? diverse. It's not Disneyland. No. I mean, it's Disneyland. It's, it's Disneyland. Diverse, it's quite literally Manhattan. just Disneyland. I feel like Brooklyn is still Brooklyn, you know, like there are, there, people live here because they've lived here their entire lives, right? Like, people move into Manhattan because it's, posh and convenient or you know something to that effect so it feels a lot more real like I was here in this apartment painting all of the walls one year ago in in the week before my birthday actually coincidentally and here on my birthday on June the 1st so and that was literally peak like protest last year and I remember sitting there just like the Barclay Center is only like two miles away and it was it was a daily 
daily march, things were happening. And then quite frankly, like down the block from where I live, uh, like four blocks up, there's like a, a, police, a precinct. And one day I remember just painting the walls and all of a sudden I'm looking out the window and I hear like two helicopters in broad daylight. Like they sound really low. Like I felt like I was in Saigon, you know, like almost oppressively loud. And I go, what the fuck is going on? And I look out the window and there's like a thousand people running down my block to the precinct on like Dean street. And I guess it's Albany or Rochester. It's, it's up the block. And it felt way more real here than it did like in Bushwick or in Manhattan when I had to go in during that period, you know, so it, it feels way more real here, but I mean, not to negate the what's happening in, you know, in big public spaces like Union Square and on the bridges and in Midtown and all that kind of stuff. But it just felt very much so differently here in Brooklyn. But I think it was probably way more intense in middle America. And maybe not middle America, in like in, in the middle of the country. Because I think like things like this happen in New York mm-hmm. more regularly where like, how often has there been protests in Minneapolis? Not something that like that culture of people are familiar with. I would watch the news and I would see what was happening here in New York. And I would be like, wow, like Portland, Minneapolis, you know, where you were, where you were living felt, it felt way more intense than it did in here. But in any event, it's just, today's a good day for like, you know, the future, right? Uh, Albeit on the, on the shoulders of something that's just really tragic. Yeah. yeah, we were just, I was just sitting in a bar with my brother, mm-hmm. having a drink, catching up with him. And it was like, I got a text from a mutual friend of ours, actually, Jaggers. And he was like, hey, it's 4.30. And then it was being five o'clock. And we just st- stared at television and, right. you know, anticipated while like necking a drink. And it was like, okay, like he's guilty. Like, okay. Like the world isn't going to burn down. Yeah. You yeah. know, but. Yeah. It's sort of that now what feeling, which is so true to our, our yeah. generation. You know, I, I mean, how many times is like a, a like a some kind of catharsis happened, and then it's like you just hold your breath again. You don't get to exhale. Like, what's the next thing? What what is the next thing that needs to be done? Right, right, um, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like okay, great. So we've 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 crossed this threshold. What does that mean now? Mm-hmm. And albeit it's good, like it's a, this is a positive thing. This is a positive outcome from a really miserable circumstances. But with that said, it's like, what happens next? I, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's transition. You were with your brother, and I know that you have a lot of siblings. <laughs> How many brothers do you have? Right, yeah. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the youngest of five, so uh, four older brothers. Yeah. Um, That's a lot of male energy. <laughs> a lot of yeah. brother energy. I feel bad for my poor mother. She basically, she was the oldest of five herself, having four younger brothers, and then basically brought five more men into the world. And uh, 
for lack of a better phrase, she left us all inequipped on how to like express ourselves to women. Every one of us just are ill-equipped. Took a lot of like unlearning and and relearning how to kind of discern how to like talk to the opposite sex. Because you know, you're supposed to learn that from like your brothers, your family, your mother, your father, and nope. <laughs> it's not happening. Oh, I want to know what early flirtation for, for you looked like. <laughs> uh, that's a great, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure that I, oof. Did you tease? Did you, did you gawk? What was... I, you know, it, I think a lot of it was more just like, I'm here. Ta-da. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> very like e- egocentric, like, I don't know. Yeah, no, completely blissfully unaware, unfortunately, would be the best way that I could describe it. You know, yeah, it was it wasn't good. Let me put it that way. And then it just led itself down a path of like, I'd meet someone that, you know, you were interested in and I couldn't understand their feelings because I couldn't even understand my own for that matter. And then everyone was misunderstood. Right. Like, does that make sense? Well, I mean, I'm curious because I've always felt you were so good at communicating, like maybe not in touch with your feelings necessarily, but that you, you were always, uh, you were always able to, to talk and to converse and to hear you say like, oh, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know how to connect. Okay. Really so surprising to me. All right. That makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, listen, you, you, you back me into a corner and I can talk myself out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So like if you present me with like, let's call it a problem or conflict or whatever like let's say I can discern a solution from that but I don't know that like it had like any real uh let's call it intention or um like point of view from experience right you're just like okay I'm just gonna throw shit at the wall and see what works right Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have to like come back at some point and go like, well, where do my feelings fit in with that? And and then that becomes really conflicting, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's more of a mental game, is what you mean? Like throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. It, it, it's more of like a mental repartee than it is an emotional one. Hmm. Yes. Uh... <laughs> yes? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Yes? Question mark. <laughs> Was it like a, I, I don't know if it was a game. It was more like, uh, I, I think in those earlier days, it was like, and I, I still think this actually applies to now. It's like, there's a problem, there's a solution, right? Mm-hmm. But then there are many ways to solve and define a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And you can look at it from multiple perspectives and kind of be like, okay, like, this this problem exists because of this point of view or that point of view and their solution is multifaceted right so i don't i don't know that like a game is really specifically appropriate to dis- to to describe it it's more like uh it's a bit more again it, it's kind of like like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks <laughs> as a young kid Right. I, you met me at a different time, I feel like. 
where I had gone through like a period of time where I had to really reevaluate myself. I think of perspective so much when I think of like Gemini energy and in what you just described is sort of like coming around to, to again, reevaluating perspective, different ways of handling a puzzle or solving a problem, like you said. And so there's, there's this sort of like input and output that I'm hearing from you in the way that you regard conversation or the way that you communicate. Right. I, I, basically I, I would say, and this is me being completely speculative. As I said to you earlier, like I'm a, I'm a friendly cynic when it comes to this whole point of view. Right. I like problem solving, right? Like, Present me a problem and like, I'd love to find you a solution, whether it has anything to do with me or at all or not. Right. Like present me a problem and I will find you a number of solutions to get out of that. Um, And that worked really well for me, like in every, uh, in every, uh, what's the, in, in every interest I've had as like a young adult into adulthood into what, wherever the fuck I am now. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's always the, Oh, hello cat. Um, sorry. Someone just jumped on my lap. Um, <laughs> hey, Tommy boy. Um, so yeah, like art school felt like just problem solving. Right. And there was always like multiple ways to dissect said problem and like readjust your point of view and learn something and then move on. Right. And then keep that in part of like your, I don't know, uh, your repertoire. Same thing with like, I don't know, something as like lame as like when I used to do like a ton of skateboarding as a kid, right? Like you could look at, uh, let's give it, let's put it in a simple context, like a skate park, right? Like you have multiple different obstacles, if you want to call them that. And, and, and there, there, there are multiple, you have multiple obstacles in front of you and you have, a number of different like routes that you can take right and they will all lead to a different outcome and that outcome can be success failure you hurt yourself whatever or praise right so i, I feel like if, if you were to ask me well now i'm losing my point of view um my point here i'm i'm tracking with you i mean i hear this this like it's not a game. It's problem solving and right. like finding a solution or an outcome that is most amenable to what your desires are. Right. But that also, that, that doesn't negate like, like certain problems in, in, include other people. Right. So uh, problem solving isn't just for yourself, but I would imagine, you know, I'm going to prioritize myself before someone else likely. Um, yeah, there are the other people that, and that's a whole nother level, I suppose. Yes. (laughs) Well, okay. So, so tell me what got you interested in, in skating to begin with, and then what took you to art school then? Um, so skateboarding for me was, you know, growing up in like, uh, in, in, in like central New Jersey, and that's not even important really. It's, Growing up in, like, any, like, you know, American town, you're supposed to play baseball or basketball or run track or whatever, you know, sport you're supposed to do in school. And all of them felt very, like, uh, 
a team oriented and like you had some sort of like defined role. And for me as a kid, it took me a long time to realize it, but like it didn't work for me to have a role because it felt just so singular. It was like, uh, you know, I am on defense and like, there's no room for any interpretation. There's no room for any creativity there. Right. So, you know, those team sports and everything just never really quite worked for me. Um, growing up as a kid, like one of my older brothers, like had a skateboard and I don't know, I just kind of sat down on it and would like push around as like a four and five year old. Um, and then they bought me one as a, my brothers, my two older brothers bought me one as like a gift in sixth grade. So what that's like 11, 12, something like that. And it just kind of clicked. It felt like this thing that like I could put in as much energy as I wanted and I would get as much out of it as I, as I put in. Right. And it, it had nothing to do with anyone else's influence or any sort of role that I had to hold. And it worked really well for me. And then beyond that, it sort of became this, um, it sort of defined like my younger childhood in a lot of ways, right? Like objectively, subjectively, I became like quite good at it. Right. And then that turned into like sponsorships and this, that whole sort of, uh, that would be a game for sure. But, you know, I became a sponsored young skateboarder and then that became part of like a team, but you were still left with your own individuality and creativity that, felt like it was less to do with, you know, I don't know, hitting a home, I don't know, hitting a home run, something just crashes that, right? Like, yeah. does that make sense? I, yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But, you know, there's also just like the opportunity where like, if, if I decided that like, I didn't want to do it anymore, I could just walk away and there was no one there for me to disappoint. You know, yes. it was already disappointing to like not play baseball to my parents. <laughs> right. So, uh, or like, you know, whatever shitty sport at whatever Catholic school I went to. Um, so they were just happy to see me like throw my energy into something. Mm -hmm. that were was you an energetic kid? Uh, yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I still feel like it's a problem as an adult. <laughs> why right? is it a like, problem because you don't have places to channel it anymore well, yeah you gotta get or... the evil out right like <laughs> it's, it's difficult now as an adult because like i from skateboarding as a young adult and into my like into into like some form of adulthood <clears throat> i've hurt like my hip and my back and i can't do it anymore mm. <laughs> and there's a certain level of like yeah some days i wake up and you know i've got some pent-up energy and what do I do with that? And it used to be like just as simple as like riding for like a mile or two as fast as I could. And then I could go home and I could go do whatever, like the next sequence of tasks that I needed to do. Mm -hmm. It would be easy. And now it's find it cumbersome because I don't know how to like get the evil out. <laughs> You're like a puppy. To... You're like an excited puppy that you need sure. to go wear you out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, but it's got to be on my terms, right? Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> you can't just I'm take just me to the dog park, no. you know, <laughs> and I'll smile. So it's, it's not that simple, you know. 
Some might call it ADD. I don't know. Probably. No, it's, um, it's, yeah, getting that sort of like, finding that sense of like, finding how to like temper that energy has been, has been a problem probably since childhood. You know, I remember like as a kid, I would get so frustrated because I didn't know how to like, I didn't know how to get rid of it. I would just cry as a kid. Uh, mm. and, and like, you needed a release. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's probably just as complicated now as an adult, but I don't know that like the response is for me to sit in a corner and cry by myself. It's more like I just, you know, beat on myself and make myself feel like shit because, you know, I didn't do whatever thing I thought I was supposed to do. Do you always feel like you have 10,000 things juggling around in your mind? Of course. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's, I mean, it's miserable. You go to bed <laughs> and you're like thinking about the thing and then you wake up and you're thinking about the same thing and uh, whether they're, yeah, there's just, there's too much. <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe it to you. Like, how do I, hmm, like, sorry, I'm, I'm struggling to kind of try and find the words here. Mm-hmm. So, it, too much isn't really like, uh, for me, really isn't even, isn't even the best way to describe it. It's like how to, how to manage it all, right? Like, does that make sense in some, in some way? It does, you know, because it's, again, those, like, the problem-solving aspect. It's, it's right. about management. It's, like, how do I sort of sit on top of all these eggs? You know, right. they I can't mean, hatch at once. <laughs> manage all the problems, right? And for me, I look at, like, you, you, there, 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 there are way too many interests. There are way too many, I mean. Hyperfocus is a really gnarly, gnarly, gnarly thing to get sucked up into. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but like, I could, like, I could set it myself and be like, I'm going to do these like 15 things today or three things today, right? And the old vintage camera I have at home. And then the next thing you know, I'm watching like two hours of YouTube videos and learning how to like process film in my like bathroom. And I don't have any interest in doing that. Let's be honest, but like, it just can happen. So it's, it sucks. You know, um, it's, it almost feels like debilitating at times. Yeah. How, how have you learned to ground yourself when those type of experiences that happen for you, when you feel really distracted or you get really pulled off of course, or do you just go with it? Well, I think as a young kid and this circles back to what we were saying before, I would find a way to get like that evil out of me. So mm-hmm. I would, I would go and I would go skateboard or at a different time in my life, I would unfortunately do a bunch of drugs, you know, and I would get like this evil out of me. I'd find like sort of equilibrium and then I could kind of attack, attack my day in some way. Sometimes it's just a matter of me sitting on my roof, drinking 10 cups of coffee and smoking cigarettes for an hour. And then I can go like, okay, like I can sit down and do that and get what I need get done. Um, but it's, it's been hard in quarantine 
because in the past, you know, even the consistency of like day-to-day activities, like getting up, going to work, getting on the subway, that kind of thing, have really helped for a while. And then whilst in quarantine, in quarantine it's become really difficult to. That's been something that I have really super struggled with, right? Like, how do you, how do you start your day when like it's all in the same environment, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, um, that's been difficult in the past. It has been helpful for me to kind of like sit down. I've done, I've, tr- I've tried some level of meditation. I think it really comes down to like, I don't know that I specifically subscribe to the idea of like a mantra or that kind of thing. But I think it's kind of rose by another name, if that makes sense. Like I sit down, I find some way to kind of just like zone out for a bit. And whether that's like me drinking up a coffee or, you know, just kind of zoning out for a little bit. And I think it's kind of this weird meditative, but it's not necessarily like I trick myself into saying it's not meditation because I get kind of hung up on what that's supposed to mean for me, like, uh, spiritually which mm-hmm. I struggle with in a lot of ways because too many years in Catholic school <laughs> uh, so I definitely find myself doing sort of similar routines in the morning whether it's like I grab a cup of coffee I sit down I watch I read some news and then I just kind of sit there and I do kind of my wife Laura she'll get up and she'll like make breakfast and she'll do a workout I have this like I wake up and I have to kind of just do nothing. I have to kind of disassociate from myself for a bit. And then I can go like, it's kind of like a, like a, like defragging every Mm. morning, but there's probably some method to it, but I don't know that like I can really put it down into words. Right. Yeah. It's like you unplug Mm -hmm. because you're, I mean, would would you describe yourself as a pretty mentally oriented person, like thinky pain, as our friend Mark Marin would say? <laughs> um, mentally orientated. What do you mean? Mm, like the the way that you perceive the world is it mainly through like thoughts and organization of thoughts and perceptions, or is it like do you feel things, or do you just know stuff, or I don't know that. Feelings are complicated. <laughs> uh, well said. I, they, they just, I, they happen. And like, like a friend of mine the other day asked me, he's like, do you, do you just like have anxiety about like life? And I was like, no, like situational things don't give me anxiety. Maybe this isn't the question you were asking, but in any event, he was like, do you just like wake up and you're like, you, you have anxiety because you have like a meeting. And I was like, no, I just feel it. If that makes sense. Like I just, I wake up and there, there, my body feels like stressed out. And I couldn't tell you why until maybe 10 hours later mm-hmm. when I've been like, oh, there was all that stuff that I was supposed to do or whatever responsibility I had to the day. And so not not the 10 cups of coffee is what you're saying. Ah, uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that, I'm sure that doesn't help. But it, it, I just I don't know. I, I, I like I have a tendency to 
and this is another divergent sort of point of view, but like, let's say I was to take like mushrooms or a psychedelic, then I actually have this wave of like fears and emotions that come that are like, that have like a, that have like a, a name. They have an identity where I think in my daily life, they don't have a name and an identity. I disassociate them because if I am to focus on them, I'm a mess. So like they, they're basically, whether it's like, I don't know, something as like benign as like paying the rent or like the relationship to my wife, they basically are like the same level of anxiety. And I don't really put them into, uh, I, I try not to name them. I just kind of experience and feel them and like kind of work my way through mm-hmm. without a, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Does it? It does. Cause I, I mean, I asked you if you felt like the, like it was thinking, but you actually do feel a lot. You perceive a lot of your um, experience. It registers in your body. As anxiety or tension. Sure. Yeah. And, and at which point then it doesn't necessarily, I, I, I just prefer not to give it a name because as soon as I give it a name, then, then I have to maintain it. Yeah. Hi, Laura. <laughs> I love Laura. <laughs> yes. I love Laura too. Lauren says hi. <laughs> Sorry, we live in an apartment. There's no, there's no way to really avoid it, to avoid each other in any, in any good way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even in a three bedroom, they're, they're still, uh, you know, any relationship that survived this last year is solid. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, solid. I don't think any of us were, 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 were equipped for the idea that we were supposed to spend this much time together. Mm-hmm. Right. And Especially for you, Michael, how has this been in the pandemic? Like, I mean, I, I always picture you sort of like darting around connecting with people because connecting is a big part of your work, right? It's right. like relational uh I mean, there's been times you've had to be a professional schmoozer and mm-hmm. your problem solver. And how has this been like isolating and what's changed for you? Um, I think the gallery that you were at closed and, mm-hmm. and what's, what's ahead. And so uh, I guess I'll answer that in different order. Basically, the gallery I worked at closed and then I have kind of migrated into not kind of I've migrated into being like a private dealer effectively representing a number of artists selling privately from I guess you would call it my apartment um, and sort of working towards the, the goal of potentially becoming like a brick and mortar gallery mm-hmm. uh, but w- with that it's it, it sort of lost a lot of its purpose for me because you know I feel like half the job for me had to do with social interaction right like whether I was meeting with a client or I was going to an art studio or talking with the people I worked with, engaging with the artwork, not the, all of that is gone. And I feel almost like I might as well just sell NFTs right now, which is really, really just, (laughs) it's a bit loaded, but 
yeah, you could say depressing. I mean, it's just uninspiring, you know. So it's it, it lacks sort of that like purpose in a lot of ways. And I know that I struggle uh, consistently with the the fact that like I don't get to engage with like a purpose for what I do as a uh, for a living, right? In, in the past, I'd sit in the gallery and people would come in and I would talk to artists and there were a lot of things to maintain, whether it was like as an artist liaison and then like your relationship to the clients and then how the artwork was installed and all of that kind of stuff had sort of a social aspect to it with that gone. Now it sort of, it sort of is, it, it becomes difficult for me in my, you know, to be honest. And you're left with like just this idea of interacting with people on social media, which is, Again, like, I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. I find it kind of uninspiring some days, you know, and detached. But then again, maybe I'm just burnt out from it. So, like, I don't know. It's, it's, but with that said, it's the circumstances of, you know, one, the, the gallery that I worked for for so many years, for a couple of years, shutting down sort of forced me into a position where I had to make some decisions and that's been exciting um, and terrifying. And, you know, it's for so many years, I would, would, would blame my shortcomings on like the person I worked for. And then all of a sudden realizing that like some of them are your shortcomings, right? Like, so it's been uh, an eye opening <laughs> I guess I started this all in July. So it's been an eye-opening almost, you know, eight months, eight, 10 months now. So it's been, there's been a lot for me to learn. Maybe not to connect the dots between team sports and skateboarding from this conversation. Okay. And the fact that like in, in childhood, you know, you didn't, you didn't want to do the team sport. You wanted to do your own thing so that you could walk away on your own and not hurt anyone. And now it's kind of been the reverse experience that, you know, having a community and the gallery setting and, and then you left that well, because the, the gallery closed, but you'd always talked about having your own space, your own place. Sure. And now you're kind of skateboarding alone and there is no community, but there's also no skate park. So it's sure. like you and a board. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it lacks meaning, you know, and, and it's not because you didn't try. It's because the world is set up in a way where you, you don't have a place to play. You don't have other people to interact with, to learn from. And that's really, that sucks. And the fact that you're like, oh, NFTs and how that's such a hot thing right now and kind of disgusting to me in a way about yeah. the, the ultra wealthy and yeah, let's talk about perspective. Like, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on what I just said, but there's also this, the connection between the wealthy and the artists that create the work that gets sold for so much money. It's kind of disgusting. Right. I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely difficult to kind of like to separate yourself from that. That's a tough one because, you know, it's like, ideological point of view which is some rich or wealthy individual who just you know sort of lives carefree and you know everyone else is kind of like busting their ass and working and trying to like 
and maybe that's just my baggage that I'm looking at it from, but does it feel superficial to you or absolutely? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a really fine line between like having the conversation about where you care about the artist and like their point of view and their career and what they're trying to say and then trying to make a living, right? Like, so you're taking something that's not meant to be commercialized in one, on one side and on the other side, you have to look at it from a commercial point of view, right? So I have to sit there and go like, okay, like how do I keep your integrity as an artist while at the same time sell out, I guess? Um, maybe that's a bit too harsh, but yeah. There's a I mean, fine line, isn't there? There really is. And it's, 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 it's difficult. Like, you know, I can, I could talk to you for hours about previous experience with the dealers and you know more about that than you probably ever should, <laughs> you know, from previous experiences and what have you from us. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, and that's not really the important part of it. It's, it's, I think it comes down to like looking at it from a point, certain perspective, you have to, like I've had to kind of resign myself to some of the sort of lofty point of views I had looking at the art world from like a business owner perspective, right? Like I've had to grow up in a lot of big ways and, and that's been difficult because I guess for so long I got to look at it as like a, like an idealist a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. I got to look at it like an idealist and and that was, it was unfair for me to attribute like my, my problems with that onto people I worked for in the past. And I've had to learn a lot from that, but, and that's been great. Um, and you know, you decide to like, for me, like I've decided to move into this realm where I'm, you know, working for myself and what have you. And I get to try and see if I can sort of navigate this world with keeping more of my integrity, mm-hmm. you know, keeping some of it, you know, as much of it as I can, I guess, right? Not without selling out and being really crass, but it's, 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 oh fuck, I don't know. It's, it's so, and I'm still, I'm really still figuring it out, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. You know, like it's definitely a day by day, you know, month by month kind of thing. And if you would have asked me, you know, what my point, what, what my, what my, what my trajectory was in July. And if you'd asked me today, they are so very different. Right. Um, there's been a lot to learn from that and, and a different kind of problem that I've not had to solve before, because it's not just like someone's presented me with a problem. It's like I've created my own problem. Right. And it's internally, like I have to go like, okay, I have, I'm, I'm putting the pressure upon myself to live to a certain circle, to a certain level, to a certain watermark, right? That like maybe isn't realistic. I think it's just going to be a matter of kind of, I, I gotta, it needs more time, you know, to kind of like maturate and figure out where it's going to go from there. So you're a problem solver and I know that you'll figure this out once, once the opportunities present themselves again and, I think there has to be a way for, because art is so important, art is necessary, whether it be in the form of poetry or a film, a concept, a painting. There's so many gifted artists out there with real visions of change and insight and 
capture a new what do they call it? the spirit of the times the zeitgeist in in like one one image mm-hmm. you know i i think about an event that you had at the i think the armory and i walked around and just saw all this crap you know and sure. it, i mean it was like beautiful crap but it was not stuff that moved my soul no nah. and and very I saw, few things I, do right. and i still remember the one thing at that massive showing that did move me and it was a granite sculpture and it was a carving of a woman in bed with an AK-47 I don't know if you remember that piece but it was haunting and and I was and then I think of people like Martin Whitfoot who creates really beautiful powerful pieces about environmentalism or Hannah Yada I mean these are people that we know and they they present these beautiful works and their their pieces are you know they they are worth what they are worth and they still have depth and meaning to them without being sellout pieces so it's like i know that it's possible and that a banana shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't sell for a million dollars oh, please that really i mean it's horrifying with the poverty in this country yeah i mean it yeah. needs to be paid what they're worth but it doesn't it doesn't make sense and uh, no, the NFTs definitely don't make sense. I mean, at the end of the day, the whole that whole that whole I'm, I, I call it a scam. You know, when you when you read about it in articles and you, you see people talking about it in in the news, like no one talks about the artwork, no one talks about the image, no one talks about the quality of it or the context of it. All they say is how much it's sold for, which just makes you just makes me sick because it's just really just speculative, like investing. It's just about money, you know? And like, that is that don't get me wrong. It is absolutely a part of like the business and there's no avoidable way to be like, some people make a living at this and other people don't. Right. And some people are really good at what they do and other people are undervalued and other people are overvalued. And, you know, we can go with this all day. Uh, You know, when when you talk about that, that sort of digital marketplace that's sprung up in the last couple of months, it is just completely about money. And it's just, it's just fucking disappointing. You know, it's like, no one talks about what it's about, what its context is. It's just like, it's blockchain. Cool. What the fuck does that mean? It's a waste of electricity is what it is. Yeah. You know, and like, I, I don't know if you've read up on, like there's some articles floating around the internet, uh, floating around on like, weekly there there's this there's this problem that like people are encountering where like nfts are like being used in like revenge porn which is really fucking atrocious so like someone sends me a nude photograph and then i can turn it into an nft and sell it therefore recontextualizing it as artwork right attributing value to it and then it literally has it's not illegal then for me to have done have to shared it It, it's really because it becomes first amendment right Mm. within expression and that's really that's really fucking vile in my please write your congressperson (laughs) (laughs) yeah for legit the first amendment Um, attracted to you to art to begin with michael I, i i guess i guess there was always a certain i guess being an artist and skateboarding aren't that different from each other in a lot of ways like you you certainly spend a lot of time by yourself sort of problem solving 
you know, I guess it sort of fit like a, it sort of fit for me in that capacity, but I don't know. Um, I found myself really struggling in school for me. It was not, uh, it was not easy, you know, from a academic point of view. Right. So for whatever reason or another, you know, as a young kid, I want to say around like fourth grade, you know, drawing and painting just sort of worked for me. Right. And it was certainly became like a focus and it was like comic books and, you know, all that predictable sort of like teenage boy stuff. Right. But then as I got a little bit older, you know, you start to sort of embrace like young adult sort of feelings and what have you. And it seemed like a good outlet for me to kind of dump that stuff into that I struggled to um, express with words, right. Or express um, emotionally. So I could dump sort of like my intention into something, whether or not that was like completely uh, obvious from like the, pleaded work, put my emotions into that. Mm-hmm. And it became sort of an easy outlet for me and snowballed from there. I mean, you know, historically, you know, then it just, I ended up in an art school and then I ended up in sort of this mentorship sort of program where I was like working with someone who was like invested in me as opposed to, you know, sitting in a classroom where people are teaching you where everyone's marching at the same beat of a drum. I never really learned well in that capacity, you know, like mm-hmm. where everyone steps one step at a time together, like one plus one is two and two plus two is four. You know, that, that didn't work for me. And art school really, what it helped, what, what, it, what it spotlighted was like people that were like the, the best person in your classroom. And that's a subjective point of view, but like the the, the most talented or you know, easy to learn sort of person in your classroom sort of led the entire class, right? You know, if one person was successful in whatever the, the goal was from whatever particular lesson, then that elevated everybody else and everyone else had to mind really sort of work towards that goal. So that worked really well for me. It was like, I, I could sort of look at it like one goal at a time. Yeah. Art school just worked and, being an artist seemed like a great idea for a long period of time for me and it felt right. But there was a period of time where then like leaving art school, I started working in galleries and I got into this position where I was making work as an artist, as an individual. And then I was working with artists on how to like develop their careers. Right. Mm -hmm. And it it became too, too, it was was just a fractured way of life because it's like, you know, from seven to 11, I was this, you know, individual. And then from, you know, from nine to five, I was working like towards someone else's goals. Right. And it became really difficult for me to try and be an artist while working within the industry. Cause it's like everyone I met basically was looking at me as like an inroad into the gallery and no one could give me like honest criticism that was a real problem for me and beyond that as well it was like there came a point where I was like I'm better suited as like an ally to an artist as opposed to trying to be one myself and it was a hard thing to look but very liberating you know I still hold a lot of guilt about it because like you know I sit and live in this like environment every day 
you know, there are days where you're like, I could do that. And there are days where you're like, there's no fucking way. But, you know, it's, it's, I don't know how to describe it beyond that, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's that, that tension with community, individualism, and then getting an honest response from people. It sounds really challenging. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, certain things, like, like you can, think, like, some things are simple. Like, um, skateboarding was simple. It was like, you could do a trick. Or you, and then there's, like, a whole other level where, like, you can do a trick, but with style. That's supposed to mean, right? Mm-hmm. and art school like and being like it's easy to be a technician right like i could spend my entire life and do whatever form of painting you can insert whatever you whatever point of view you you like the best and i could study that for a lifetime and i could become really good at it doesn't mean i'm going to make anything that's, and good right mm. and that's like a real hard thing to learn at a certain point where you're like okay like just because like i am a I spent the, I put in the hours and the time and I was like technically very good at what I could do. doesn't mean that I was going to make good work. And the only few times that I was able to make good work was when my life was just in total and utter chaos. Right. So it was like when I had like, I had, I had been involved, I got like involved with another woman, almost got married to her and, and broke that marriage off. And then I made a bunch of really cool work right after that. And then, like total right total block right writer's block or artist block and then there was a moment where like i moved to philadelphia and i spent like a year painting in a room by myself and it was like what did i accomplish it was just looking for tension just to sort of motivate like outcome for the artwork and it was like that's not a way to live right like that's just way too intense you know like that's way too dramatic that's way too chaotic and I, I couldn't live a life where I was just literally putting myself at risk just to make something interesting. Right. Like, so with that, and then the idea of like, you know, was I just, uh, you know, like technically good enough to make a good painting? Fine. Like, does that mean I'm like going to make something that's like worthy? And so, yeah, I, I had to move on from it. You know, and I found myself in the role of like the gallerist, let's say, where I get to kind of talk with artists and be that sort of support system to them in a lot of ways, which has really helped me because I can kind of identify talent sometimes and then beyond that also sort of encourage it and be someone who's there to kind of help, you know, because a lot of people just want to take advantage of, art, of, of artists often. And the, I mean, in the nature of mentorship, what, what kind of... Um... Like what, what would you tell an earlier version of yourself or what kind of, what kind of advice would you offer to a, a young person who does want to be an artist? Find someone, find someone who you respect, right? And what is, what is the term I'm looking for? It's like do unto Caesar, unto Caesar. You know, find someone that you respect artistically and learn as much as you can from them. And then move on to whoever else you can beyond that kind of be a pirate you know take what you can from you know cause no one's gonna be like the end-all be-all no one's gonna be the um no mentor is gonna be omniscient right like they're all flawed are only like a collection of their own experiences right so the one thing you'd say is like 
experience as much as you can and stay away from dogma, right? Like, because dogmatic points of view in the art world can really pigeonhole you. And it took me, because I got locked into sort of a dogmatic point of view in the art world. And it took me, I don't know, good, better part of like five or six years to kind of work my way out of that and be like, oh, like I was wrong for sure. Like there's definitely a lot of really great work in, you know, postmodern theory and modern art and what have you, you know? So um, where I was very dogmatic to this, like, you know, classical representational painting um, for way too long. So I would say to stay away from dogma and to, you know, find as, find as many mentors as you can. Right. And then beyond that, like be honest with yourself. Like there's definitely maybe not be honest with yourself, but find someone who can be honest with you because a lot of people will just lie to you because they don't want to be honest that like sometimes I used to teach and maybe this will make more sense in this capacity I used to teach at like a small little art school. I teach like a drawing class and it was like drawing 101. And I would basically on my first day tell the students, and maybe this is a bit harsh, but it was like a classroom of 25 people and be like, five, you're going to drop out by the end of this semester. Two of you are going to go on to have an art career and the remainder you're going to get like a job at a bank, like being a bank teller. You know what I mean? And like find someone who's going to be honest with you because there's nothing worse than an artist who's delusional in thinking that they are like so great when maybe the reality is, is that it's not right for them. You know, it's maybe not the right career for them. It's, this is not an easy one. You know, I mean, you're a writer, you get it, right? Like if, wouldn't you want someone to basically turn to you and be like, this is bad writing. Mm-hmm. Like subjectively. Yes. But like objectively, like sometimes things are bad, right? Like they're just not, not, not bad. So objectively, sometimes things are just not great. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, people that care about you will lie, right, just to you know, insulate your feelings. And I think it's, you have to find people who are going to be honest because it's going to hurt a hell of a lot more 10, 15, 20 years down the line when someone's finally goes like, yeah, this is dog shit. Like, what have you been doing for, for 20 years? Right? I, I don't know. I Maybe that's a little black and white, but. I'm really impressed with your clarity. You know, the idea of you being in Philadelphia in a room by yourself, just drawing and that you knew, oh, I'm looking for tension. Like you, you've always given yourself this challenge of perspective to be like, oh, I was wrong or next thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that I, it was intentional. It just sort of I, like the truth will out. Right. <laughs> You know, you sit somewhere long enough and if you're, I mean, I just, I spent that whole year, I spent just sitting there reading like the darkest of philosophy that you can, you know, like Heidegger. I mean, it was definitely like, you know, I might've just sat in a corner of a room with no window. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was, it was just me and a whole lot of nothing else. Uh, I don't know that there was any other outcome that could have happened. I could have made the most amazing artwork, but I would have been in this environment that was not like a, it wasn't right. And then I think, you know, the reality of my situation sort of came to be where it was like, this isn't really, I don't think this is right for me. 
I think I'd be lying to myself. Like it would be, it would be foolish of me to have carried on assuming that I should be an artist when maybe I should actually be something that's a bit more social, right? Like that is a bit more like available. Like I think I'm a better, I think I'm, I think I'm better suited, you know, like I said, being an ally to artists as opposed to selfishly sitting in a room and being like, I'm going to make something great. That's, that, that comes from working in the business and then also trying to be an artist at the same time. And it, it, I don't, I, I just don't see how any other way that the outcome wouldn't have been that. I'm not too butthurt about it. Like, okay, like I can, I can sit here and like paint watercolors at home just cause like I find it exciting. I wouldn't dare show it to you or anyone else. Right. I need to like fulfill that. Like if I want to sit here and be like, I'm going to solve problems tonight that matter to nothing. Cool. I can do that. Right. And I can sort of satiate that need if I need to, but, but do I need to show it to people? Absolutely not. <laughs> That's self-awareness, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know how Gemini all any of this is. <laughs> You, you, you might need to, you might need to come in and explain that to me, to be honest with you, how any of this relates to this. It's, it's incredibly pertinent and I've really enjoyed the, the storytelling and the mentorship and the community and everything that you have laid out before us. So I, I'm really appreciative. Um, anything that you wanted to share that was in the back of your head that we didn't get a chance to? Oh, brother, I don't, I, I don't know. If, if I did, it's long gone. I couldn't, I couldn't, it's, it's like, I, I don't know. I feel like I just talked a lot and a lot of it probably doesn't make any sense. Maybe you can tell me it makes sense later. No, I feel like I've been talking to myself kind of, which is like how every conversation is kind of in a lot of ways. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> Believe me, it was received. I Trust me, I know you are like a, uh, you were one of the better listeners I've ever encountered in my life. Hey, Al. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think the anxiety thing is, is uh, well suited to the Gemini nature um, just because it's related to the nervous system. And okay. I, it stresses me out that, you know, that sleep disorders for you and, you know, right. like what you describe as anxiety or getting the evil out. Um you know, that it's not about the, it's not that like dual nature. It's like, how do you transfer thoughts into reality? And you do that through movement, through connections, through conversations and through like making shit happen. And right now you are not really in a space to make shit happen because everything is frozen in time. Sure. And still moving, which is beyond my capability of understanding it's like it's like a glacier like everything is stuck frozen in place but the glacier is still moving right right you know melting and chipping off and what have you yeah yeah i mean i don't know it's definitely uh i think it was you who told me like what um i'm what june 1st so that means like uh what like literally like dead ass middle of the road gemini I don't know. I remember you, you breaking it down for me many moons ago in my old apartment in Bushwick. And it was funny. Like, I don't know how to like, not like talking about, you know, like a archetype of yourself. Right. It's like, how do you, how do you not like internalize it and go like, yeah, I guess that's, Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Da, 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 da. But it's, it's hard for me to like, look at it. 
objectively. Like, it's definitely difficult for me, but I, I get it in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, Laura will bust my balls about it all the time, but. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's sort of like the archetypes that they use in, in symbols and artwork, you know, like right. you, you under, and that's how astrology works is sort of adhering meaning to the world through stories because humans tell stories to each other to make sense of their universe. Sure. Yeah. And, and it makes sense to me that you're like, I'm cynical. Like I could see it both ways. It could go either way. And I get it. Yeah. I mean, like I get it. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like part of me just goes like, nah, that doesn't make <laughs> sense. No, 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 no. The you two know. minds. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, it, it, I, someone said there's like a good one and a bad one in Gemini's, the twins. There's a good twin. There's an evil twin from at least one way I've heard it described to me, but have a guide next time, darling. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, mm. Well, I love chatting with you. Please kiss Laura for me. I will. And, uh, I will. Hazel and all the kitties. Yes. Keep me posted when you're going to come visit. I said earlier, you've got spare bedroom to crash in whenever you want. Oh, thank God. Not that couch. Never again. Never again. No, <laughs> you get your own private bedroom with a bed and, a, and, and, and pillows and a duvet and a blanket. So you are welcome anytime. <laughs> I'll take you up on it. All right. K Apothecary in Mount Vernon, Iowa is a metaphysical store and so much more. In 2009, Andrea Gorsh was diagnosed with celiac disease, and when she set out to eliminate irritants from her life, the difficulty was in finding quality, gluten-free bath and skincare products. So pretty soon, she was making her own recipes to use herself, and she gave some samples to friends, and one thing led to another as it goes. So since then, Andrea's had to expand her product line to keep up with demand, and she specializes in consultations, the development of custom formulas for problems like anxiety or insomnia or quitting smoking, as well as a line of bath and skin products for customers who appreciate her high-quality ingredients and local sourcing practices. Right now, they have a summer solstice package available, lots of workshops and events all the time. As I said, this is an online and in-person community, so you can connect with them virtually on Facebook or Instagram. You can sign up for their monthly event newsletter. They have a snail mail, uh, which who does newsletters anymore? Well, uh, K Apothecary does. So they host a variety of workshops, classes, events aligned with goals towards improving the lives of those in the community. So there's a variety of metaphysical studies, moon circles, sound healing, aromatherapy, modern mysticism, witchcraft, astrology, tarot, and so much more. So currently all the events are happening virtually, but the store is open. Uh, You can go check them out in Mount Vernon, Iowa. If you get off I-80 from Iowa City and head north a little bit, uh, it's, it's worth the stop, believe me. I want to thank Michael Rupel for being my guest this week and sealing and closing up very gently the Gemini season with this amazing conversation. 
At the beginning of the show, I had Ryan Evans doing a little reading report on Gemini um, from our book project. That was a, a recording from uh, the work that we're doing together. So stay tuned for that. More to come. I want to thank Michael again and K Apothecary for sponsoring this episode. I have a new sponsor, Orchid Chinese Medicine and Acupuncture here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, Lisa Musak, big shout out to her for inviting me into the space where I'll be available Fridays and Saturdays to do in-person Reiki, intuitive energy balancing, a practice of 20 years of mine. Um, I wish I could be more specific about the matters that I work with people on, but it's everything. It is literally everything human under that umbrella of being human. I use inspired astrology to connect and support you in that process. So if you are in the Milwaukee area, get in touch. You can DM me, uh, email lkhickman at gmail.com. You can always find me on Instagram. Uh, It's one of those platforms that I like, love, hate, as we do with social media. But you can find me at Lauren K. Hickman uh, or through my website, energyinterpreter.com. I am looking forward to Freight 38's uh, hosting of Terrestrial Tuesday with Gracie Amor and her group of amazing, wonderful, eclectic healers, service providers, all kinds of good stuff happened there tonight. Um, That's going to be, I think, every second Tuesday. So looking forward to more of that. Um, I'm going to head to the beach right now because it's sunny out and it's summer and I can do that. And I hope that wherever you are, you're taking excellent care of yourself. Keep moving when you can. Find ways to find your serenity, to find your calm. Stay inspired. Thank you.